The scripture text for this message is found in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God instituted his purpose or five avenues of purpose, building purpose into our lives in Eden. If that were paradise, then certainly God would make every directive in that place that all of us would need to hear in order to understand our purpose for living. And so far we have discussed three of them. We have talked about the purpose of labor, which is in the 15th chapter, <clears throat> 15th verse, I'm sorry. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and to keep it. We talked about God developing purpose by also just our existence. Him making us for Him. We are not made for our own fulfillment. We are not made for each other. We are not even made to give to the world. We are made for God. And so when God said in verse 16, the Lord commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. He was saying, just my provision for your life serves a purpose. When we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are hearing that again. Just your living serves a purpose because I created you for me. And then in verse 17, we talked about the purpose that God builds into our limits. God limited us. He made us finite. And we talked about, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, today I want to talk about purpose in love. And, and I'm going to develop this again and again throughout this year because these themes are so important. And we are going to continue to preach on them until they are woven into our lives. We will hear a song during the distribution of the communion elements in a little bit. Uh, uh, Massonet, uh, it's, a, it's called Meditations. It's a section of the opera, Theus, that, that you may recognize. It reminds me of an Eden atmosphere. That it, it starts out so peacefully. But in the middle, there is a disruption. There is an intensity that, to me can be taken as the discovery or the, the recognition of a void. There's something missing. And then it ends up in a very peaceful, very lovely sense. 
that I visualize Eve being brought to Adam. Let's talk about that. First of all, let me read to you the scripture. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Helper literally means corresponding one. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. Now literally this means called out to them. He would call them their name out loud. And the man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. Now again, helper means also one who answers. So even as Adam called out their name, there was no answer. There was no reciprocation. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. I want you ladies to note that this is the origination of our ability to sleep through practically anything, (laughs) especially the important events of life. Some of us have never fully awakened from this, as a matter of fact. We go kind of in a stupor, uh, not really recognizing the intensity of the situation, but it's... It's right here. It's, it's where this happened. Caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Now, don't miss the symbolism here either. There could be a case made that um, the first Adam was likened to the second Adam, Jesus. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, the prediction was in Isaiah that he will be pierced for our iniquities. And that indeed is what happened to Jesus on the cross. His blood and his water were spilt from a piercing where? In his side. That's right. And so just as God formed the woman from Adam and brought her to Adam, so too God formed the church, the bride of Christ, partly from the side of Christ, and brought her to Christ. Now, let's read some more. And the man said, This is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. I don't want you to miss the symbolism of the institution of marriage there. People sometimes get a uh, get a little smart for their britches and they say, well, Adam and Eve weren't married. Who did they have to marry them? And the fact is that this is repeatedly throughout Scripture and even in every marriage ceremony today, the symbolism. God the Father brought the woman to the man. God was also the magistrate in joining them together. And when when Adam said, This is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. That is his vow. And when there is a cleaving there, 
That is her vow to him that they are one flesh. This is marriage. It doesn't get any more married than this. All right. Now, let's talk about God's purpose in love. Don Marquis, who wrote a book in 1934 called Chapters for the Orthodox, wrote this. All religion, all life, all expression comes down to this. The effort of a human soul to break through the boundaries of solitary life and make contact with another seeking soul or to make contact with that which all souls seek, which by any name is God. There was a time in the Garden of Eden when as great as things were, there became a solitariness about it all. God, even back then, took something from the completion of Adam, or kept something from the completion of Adam, so that he could add it, and there would be a greater quality and a greater quantity to his life. That is true even today. If you look at the statistics, the life expectancy for single people, as compared to the life expectancy for married people, is abysmal. As a matter of fact, if you're a man, I want to warn you, you are in danger. For some reason, men are too stupid to make life on their own. I don't know what it is, but there is such a discrepancy of life that without a companion, without someone to love you and nurture you, there is a degeneration of life. That is true. You can see it when uh, people's partners die. I remember when my grandfather died. My grandmother lived in the same house, the same basic physical shape, but I watched her deterioration because there was no one there to talk to. There was no one there to bounce ideas off of. And so she began to be held captive in her own world. And I would go and visit her and she'd say, Joey, there are people outside my window at night. They are having a fire. I think they want to hurt me. And I'd take her over to the window. I'd say, Gran, look, there's no place there where there's been a fire. Oh, they, I don't know. I don't understand that was there last night. It was not just because of a deteriorating physical condition. It was because Pop wasn't there to say, Leo, we're together. In it. It's okay. Uh, part of my doctoral work was to spend a year as a chaplain in a mental institution. And part of my absolute frustration was to see a number of people who had been reared and raised virtually alone. And I believed that if we could have given them more than an hour or two of counseling a week, if we could have given them companionship, they could have come back to functional health. Because so important is companionship in the quality and the quantity of our life. So God built us that way from the very beginning. Now, why? Well, if you'll turn to the first chapter, I'm sorry, first book of John, chapter 4. Let me show you. God in His sovereignty 
chose to develop us in such a way with each other that we could have a relationship with him. Look at the last part of the 20th verse in chapter 4. The one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Now, that's a very theological concept, but let me put it for you in human terms. When I say God gave us to each other so that we could have a better relationship with him, a relationship of pure worship, that sounds sterile. It sounds like I'm just saying that God put us here for each other so we could live long physically and we could be at our best intellectually. But that's not virtually what happens to us. What virtually happens to us is that we learn to develop romance. Milton, oh, I love this. Milton wrote in his Paradise Lost. He wrote of God forming Eve. And he said, Under his forming hand the creature grew. Man-like, but a different sex. So lovely, fair, that all that, that had seemed lovely in the world now seemed mean. Or in her summed up, in her contained. Look what Adam says the first time he lays eyes on Eve. This! is now bone of my bones, of flesh of my... He is so excited. Why? Because God has given someone to him who is of a correlation. There is now parity in the relationship. Look what he has gone through before. If you don't... If, you, if you're a little warped, this first chapter in verses uh, 19 and 20 can sound just a little funny to you. Let me read them to you. It looks like he's looking for a date at the watering hole. Um, uh, you know, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. Doesn't that sound like... Well, I mean, I name you water buffalo. Come here much? So it just sounds like he's missing some, some romance. What it really means is there was no answer for him there. The animals were of a, such a distinctly different nature that he could not build up a relationship with them. There wasn't anything sexual about it. There was something missing as a person. By the same token, he could not form that same intimate relationship even with God. Because you know what? Even before we sinned, even before we fell, God was still God. So high, so holy, so transcendent that there was not a parity there. There was not an equality there even before we sinned. And so here was Adam stuck between God and the animals. With no one. Not even the ability to meditate 
and introspect into himself and find satisfaction. He could not discover his own reflection in his thoughts. I heard a story one time about, it's called, it was called, uh, Well, I'll Be. It was just a short little parable. And it was about this teenager who, when he hit teenage years, I forget his first name, we'll call him Jack. When he hit his first teenage years, he couldn't see his reflection in the mirror anymore. What a horrible thing for a teenager. What a horrible thing for any of us. Always wondering how you looked, you know. He was frantic about it. He would come home every day from school and go all through the house looking for himself in the mirrors, not being able to see himself. It consumed every waking moment. He would call up friends and try to go over to their house and use their mirrors. Every time he'd go out in public, he'd look for a mirror to see if in this one he could see himself. Well, he was invited to a party and he thought to himself, you know, I've got to get over this. I've got to go on and live my life. I've got to stop this. So I went to this party and first thing in the door, where's your bathroom? You know, Went back to the bathroom, looked for himself and couldn't see himself. On the way back from the bathroom, stopped in the hall. There was a mirror there. He was looking for himself. Couldn't see himself. And he heard this. Hello. And he turned. There was a girl. Her name was Judy. They began a conversation. At first about things they found of mutual interest. And then about each other telling each other about themselves. Jack was talking and midway through a sentence he stopped. He said, well, I'll be. Judy said, what? He said, I can see myself in your eyes. Judy said, well, I'll be. That is why God made us for each other. Because there's a part of ourselves that we will never see without reflecting it to somebody who is enough like us that there is a correspondence there. Now, just as in that relationship, there has to be a sameness. There has to be a correspondence. So, too, there is a balance of difference. Because watch this. If God has given us to each other in order for us to be able to worship Him better in romance and delight, in joy, if God has given us to each other for that reason, He is asking us and He is asking those relationships to be a training ground to bridge, to jump a huge gap. A huge gap. And so there must be in a relationship not only an equality, but a difference. There's got to be a difference. Because the tendency of man, listen to me now, is to avoid the difference by making what we could have had into an idolatry. People, instead of worshiping God, many times make their own gods. They don't want to go to the work of living with differences. 
They don't want to go to the work of bridging the gap, jumping the gap. And so they say to themselves, I will make God more like I am. And that is the history of idolatry. It also happens in human form. Let me read it to you. The first chapter of Romans. Let me read this to you. Starting with verse 22. Now in the previous verses, they have just said that God has put knowledge of himself into every human being so that they know there is a transcendent God. But look what they do with it. Professing to be wise, they become fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image. That's an idol. In the form of corruptible man, of the birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore God gave them over to the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. Now, well, I want you to see this progression. Because he goes from idol worship, from not wanting that br to bridge that gap between us and God, but rather worshiping idols. Watch what it does in our relationships. All of a sudden, we don't want to bridge the gaps in relationships. We want people just to be like us, so that we can love ourselves in them instead of them. And it ultimately results in homosexuality. Look at what it says. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, men abandoned the natural function of the women and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. I've been reading in the paper this week about Gay Celebration Week or whatever it is, Gay Celebration something or other. Let's talk. Every citizen of this country should be afforded due civil rights. The church must never persecute any section of people. That is not our job. And so therefore, we should be perfectly willing and, and, and perfectly um, at, at liberty to allow every citizen of the United States to have an opportunity to live out their lives. But church, listen to me when I say this. For you Christians... I want you to hear the further agenda of what's going on. It is not just an agenda with civility and with government. There is a further agenda to erase the differences between men and women in this country. To say all the difference is is a matter of plumbing. That, that men are just women and women are just men. And so therefore it really doesn't matter if they love each other. Because they're two humans. When we absolutize the differences, only domination results. That is, you always have an over-under master-slave relationship. 
But when you minimize the differences, what you have is, is a sexual form of idolatry. Men are loving their own image. They are loving themselves because they are unwilling to bridge the gap. Now, there are subtler forms of this. Parents do the same thing when they insist that their child be just like them, that their child have their identity. Now, you know me, most of you do, or a lot of you do, and you know our family. You know, there's probably, as a matter of fact, we hear this continually. Well, if the hunter boys do it, you can do it. You know, that's how strict we are. There are rules and there are more rules. You know, however, we do not insist on our kids having our identity. That would be parental idolatry. That would wanting to be creating another human being so that there were no differences, so that I would not have the uneasiness of bridging that gap. The same thing happens in marriages. When one spouse insists on the agreement of the other spouse, it is spousal idolatry. I don't want to live with the differences. I just want you to be just like me and agree with me all the time. Listen, that's no training ground for you and God, believe me. Because God doesn't agree with you all the time. Differences are our training ground to love God. And therefore, we need to be glad that there are differences. Now, let me tell you just a couple of more things as we go back in this important passage. First of all, I want to relieve for you the pressure of the relationship as everything that this culture puts on us. This culture in subtle forms says, A, if you don't have a good relationship, you haven't got anything. And that's simply not true. The quality of our relationships certainly is an avenue for the purpose of God. And therefore, we ought always to do everything we we can do to build healthy relationships. But there is more than just the healthy relationship to be considered. Number one, the people God sends to us, God sends to us not just so that we can love and be gratified, but so that we can hear His message through them. Turn to Matthew chapter 1, verse 20. I love this verse. I love it. So you give us to each other just so we can feel human love, so that... Uh, so that we can feel good worshiping you. No, 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 not so fast. This is the passage in which the Holy Spirit is talking to Joseph, trying to talk him into not divorcing Mary. Look what he says. This is so significant. Joseph, son of David, verse 20, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her, what's it say? is of the Holy Spirit. God gives us to each other so that He can give Himself through that person to us. There is something born out of our partners that is of God. And when they talk, we need to look for God in that conversation. Secondly, there is an order in a man and woman creation. 
But it's probably not like the order you're thinking. God created... Well, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let me show you this. When the Bible says corresponding one, there is a movement afoot in this country, a very understandable movement, that is a movement of anger. Because we have likened order with rank. If there would be one concept I would correct, it would be to separate the two. Order from rank or order from ability. God did build order into his creation. There has to be order. But that is not to say that one ranks higher than the other. Watch this. It says in here, uh, starting with verse 7, For a man ought not to have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. Now, I know this is going to drive some of you nuts. Listen to me, though. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. He's talking historically. He's talking about Old Testament scriptures. For indeed, man was not created for the woman's sake, but woman for the man's sake. He needed her. By the way, we're not talking weakness. The one who needs the help is usually the weakest. Woman is the helper. Listen. Therefore, a woman not, uh, ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. That's a, that's a, a, a hard-to-interpret verse, but I'll, I'll do that for you later on. However, now here is the mitigating verses. In the Lord, neither is the woman independent of the man, nor is the man independent of the woman. For as the woman originates from the man, look at this, so also the man has his birth through the woman, and all things originate from God. There is an equality there. However, the first order does stand because somewhere there has to be some leadership somehow. But let me tell you what kind of leadership it is. When you were a kid and you were in school, did you ever have fire drills? You know, remember those? You'd get up, you'd have fire drills, you know, and your teacher would come in and say, okay, we're going to have a fire drill this morning, this is scheduled. We, and we, we used to do this, we, we love fire drills, we get to go outside. Well, who led the fire drill? The one closest to the door. Well, I remember a kid in our class, Mervyn was his name. Mervyn. Mervyn, you will lead the fire drill. And she would take Mervyn out, and, and he would, and all the class would follow Mervyn, and she'd walk before him, you know. And, and that he followed a predetermined path to escape from the encroaching danger. And he would go to a certain place on the playground, and there would Mervyn stand. And everybody would be following Mervyn. Now, Mervyn was the leader. There had to be a proper order. But what did that have to do with Mervyn's ability? Nothing. Didn't have anything. All Mervyn had to do was follow the path that was laid out for him, not turn into the restroom or stop for a drink or anything like that, and he was okay. I'd watch Mervyn. Mervyn get pretty proud. Uh, fire drill leader. Fire drill leader here. I said to him, Mervyn, you're a fire drill leader because you're one closest to the door. Why is Adam the leader? Because he's got a special ability? No, he's just closest to the door. He's the first one God made. That's the order. All right? So let's not push this thing too far. 
Yes, men are to give spiritual leadership, but they're just closer to... I mean, it just, it's the order. It's the order God came up with, so that's that. Okay? There, can't, there has to be order in relationship. You cannot have perfect cooperation in a relationship. Somebody, sooner or later, has to be the leader. But it's not that the man has higher rank. He just sits closer to the door. So that's that. Okay, now, let me tell you one more thing. I can't wait for my letters this week. <laughs> Every week I get letters. I can't wait for them this week. Second. Or third. Or whatever. Fourth. Whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm going. I'm going. I'll be right there, Dick. It is so important for you to remember that our relationships are an avenue for our overall development. Not for the relational development per se. Not only for the relational development per se. Last week, a good friend of mine was looking real sad. She was crying, and I went up to her and said, what's, what's up? She said, I just, I've got to tell somebody. And, she, and, and her marriage was in a real bad shape. There was a particular issue that was just tearing her apart. And she was so frantic. She loves the Lord. And she kept seeking the Lord on this thing. And she could not hear from Him. And I could see from the intensity and the, and the, and the desperation of her, of her emotions, God could have been shouting the answer. She never would have heard Him. Because she was so wrapped up and so panicked and so fearful. So I said, tell you what, let me take on that prayer for this week. Don't you pray about that. Don't go to God, talk about you. Let me take that. This week, just this week. Let me see if he'll say something to me. And so she said, great, I've got to get rid of it just for, a, just for a while. I said, you give it to me. So I went. Went home, told back, we prayed. Didn't hear anything. Next day, in my prayer time, heard this. Tell her to become like me. Now, the scripture, Romans 8.29, be conformed to the image of Christ, came immediately to my mind. So I waited for more. There wasn't anything more. Okay. Next day I prayed about it. Nothing. But on my way to church, listening to country music, I hear this voice. Tell her to become like me. I'm hearing... God the Son here. I heard that at least two or three times a day, every day, in the weirdest contexts. Now, what did that have to do with this particular problem? I have no idea. I went to her last night. She said, did he say anything? I said, yeah. Told, he talked to me every day about you. What did he say? You're supposed to become like him. What's that mean? I don't know. But I know that's from him to you. I know the voice. I know the sense. There is no mistake. One of the things that means is that no matter how that applies to that particular problem she has, that relationship is an avenue for much more than two people getting together. That's an avenue to the character of Christ being built into a life. And that 
is the purpose of love. Dick, come lead us in communion.